Hi, and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche area of interest that they could just talk forever about. Here are your hosts. I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Dave. Dave, Rundin. Dave, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, so tell us, what are you here to talk to us about today? So I'm going to talk at length about my favorite author, Sir Terry Pratchett. Nice. Excellent. Amazing. I love this, and this is this is um this is a nice continuation on of things. One of our very first episodes was on um Discworld specifically, so it's nice to come back to it after uh, after a little while because that was like episode I'm gonna seven. Look up I when, think I'm going to look up the date that that came out. So it's like fourteen weeks from whenever in March we released our first episode. First episode was the twelfth of March, but I've just got the thing up. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. Why, so, Dave, why did you pick uh, Terry Pratchett for this week's episode? How did you get into the world of Terry Pratchett? Was it through Discworld, some of his other stuff? Was it through, um, I, I suppose, the movies? Yeah, because like talking talking with a lot of American Discworld fans, they don't really know like the um, the BBC adaptation of um, some of the Rincewind books and Hogfather that Sir David Jason was in, but like. They used to be on uh, Christmas on the BBC like every year. So like that's how I saw them. Oh, interesting. The great thing about Pratchett, I think, is that like, and the reason I think he could invite on 100 people to talk about Pratchett and get 100 different um, viewpoints is because the body of work is so large and he talked about so many different subjects. So everybody Mm. intersects with um, with his work in a different way and has sort of different takes. And as we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, because there are so many books and there are so many different strands like there will automatically be bits you are drawn more towards and bits that like maybe leave you a little colder and so for me i think i don't think there's another author who i would almost go so far to say there isn't another person who has had more of an effect on me growing up than terry pratchett um which i know is like a bold statement but i grew up in a really small village in Cavan and I sort of my one like big escape was fantasy and I sort of as a as a really shy and sort of anxious kid uh there was a there was a huge disparity in how the world worked in fantasy books and the world worked in Cavan and that might sound (laughs) obvious but I was 12 and I didn't sort of uh realize because in fantasy books Calvin was all there was at that time it was all there was, it was just, a limited yeah, that, horizon. That's, yeah that's the world and you know Calvin and fantasy novels do have certain things in common um the technology level the uh uh <laughs> the relative quality <laughs> of life and stuff but um that's unfair Calvin is a very nice place but um when I was growing up in fantasy novels when you there was a, there were codes of honor treating people with kindness usually returned kindness um doing the right thing or what you understood to be the right thing at some point kind of paid off uh and uh knowledge in fantasy novels is often power whereas in cavern as a as a as a as a nerdy kid growing up uh, that just didn't seem to be the way that things worked and sort of liking fantasy and having these sort of specific interests um, ended up making me like slightly a bit of a target for people and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was, I guess maybe I was looking for 
something that was still recognizably fantasy, but something that was more realistic, I guess. And uh, I came across Terry Pratchett and Discworld is on the surface uh, extremely silly. It is a flat world on the back of four elephants, on the back of a giant turtle swimming uh, uh, languidly through space. Uh, for the simple reason that in an infinite universe, everything must exist somewhere. And yeah, that's actually where I live. Like, I, I, <laughs> I live, I live there. Yeah, it is. A, it is a nice place to parts of it. Yeah, are that, that's place, what yeah. Cork actually is, guys. <laughs> There's a certain amount of Discworld flash and style to Cork. I think. I think Cork people yeah. sort of like tell their own stories and write their own rules in a way that is very Discworld. Um, <laughs> Bush. In, you know, I, I think a lot of people, um, and there's a lot of people who get turned off by fantasy because they they are very much rooted in the real world, and and fantasy is like a step too far, and Discworld is like nine steps too far because certainly in the early books he was 100% making it up as he went along, and I was just super drawn to the. I mean, the stories are fun, the the voice is funny, but there's such wisdom um, dotted through those books like currents in a cake where terry will just speak to you like directly speak to whoever is reading and sort of like with a wink and a nudge let you in on the big secret and i think a huge part of reading books any book as a teenager is hoping to be let in on the big secret of being an adult and like how does it work and how do I navigate this this spiky and often unfriendly world that uh that I just do, I'm too small to to fully understand? And Terry Pratchett really to me felt like the cool older uncle who was like, "This is politics. This is how the secret machinery of how people work. This is how power works in the world." And he did it through jokes and witches and wizards and dragons. And it just I completely fell in love with it. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot even in those early books though that um that like you can really uh carry through what he's talking about to today's society. Like in the second book, uh The Light Fantastic, there's a, a comet goes in front or there's like an eclipse. I'm trying to remember what exactly it is. I think it's an eclipse um happens and then everyone starts to distrust magic because magic starts to kind of fail. Um and so then there's a group of there's a group of people form a mob and they go to storm the the wizarding academy the unseen right. university and um death who is like an anthropomorphic figure shows up and they're like they're they're asking death why he's showing up and he says this is the death of the mind um yeah like he and you only have to look outside the window to see <laughs> to see yeah. how badly things are getting to that stage you're just like he was right. Yep, no lies, no lies detected. I mean, there's an interview from 1995 where he is interviewing Bill Gates because because Pratchett was like a really early tech adopter, like much like Douglas Adams. He was really into mm. like some of like the the first kind of most vibrant forums on the internet were like the Discworld fan forums, and, and Terry was like very involved in those, which is like a bit a bit before my time, but like I, I just heard a lot about them. And in 1995, he interviewed Bill Gates. And Bill Gates was explaining the concept of the internet and how there would be all these pages with all this information and anyone in the world would be able to access it. 
And Terry said, and this might be a really stupid question. How do we know if the information we're reading is true? Because to get a book published legally, you have to do all these checks and you have to verify, mm. you have to show your sources. But if anyone can put up anything on the internet, how are we going to make sure that what, what what's put up is true? And if anyone comes across it, how will they know that it's true? And Bill Gates is like, oh, that won't be a problem. And it's like, will it not? Uh, ob- yeah. Obvious. There's like a line from Arrow of all things coming into my mind that it just comes to mind all the time where it's just like, obviously this particular comment didn't age too well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, there's so much in uh, all of his books, even when you get be- like beyond the sort of like the, the, the large theme, there's just, he casually just throws off wisdom, like left, right and center. Like uh, there's a line from uh is it going postal or the truth that uh, that I love where it's like the people who applauded your coronation will applaud your beheading. People love a show. And that's, you could write mm. a whole novel about that. And it's just a single, it's just a single throwaway line. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things that um, came out of our, our first episode on Discworld was that I ended up doing a Discworld podcast where I'm reading the books for the first time a lot of them with my friend tessa who was our guest who was like read them like multiple times and our episode it came out actually today on the truth it really gets into that kind of thing because like for those of you who don't know the truth is terry pratchett's like spoof on the rise of print journalism and it starts getting into like 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 the rise of tabloid journalism like it's very clearly lampooning the sun newspaper in in england but it, yeah, it does have that where it's like, yeah, this is a fun thing where there's there's vampires who use like um, magic eels to take photographs and stuff. Um, but it's also like, well, who polices what you put in the newspapers? And like, mm-hmm. if you put it into the newspaper and the newspaper goes out, then like that kind of lends it the air of it being true. And then people believe it. Like there's a conspiracy um to frame lord veninari the ruler of the city and the the news like the newspaper starts saying oh that it's true and even when they go and like prove unequivocally that he didn't do it uh and the newspaper said there's still people who are like well no i read it in such a newspaper that says he did it so like these are just lying to me um and yet again very prescient yeah i mean uh, his first i i i'm pretty sure one of his first jobs was working in in, in print journalism and uh or the radio see the background in it and he's so on the nose about things that like it, again like it sounds silly to be talking about a, a fantasy world and personal experience but the disc world sort of works like a petri dish where you can play out the invention of uh concepts and and tropes and devices from our world and because it's happening in front of us, you get a new perspective on it. So, like, obviously, anyone reading Discworld was not around for the invention of the first newspaper. So there are certain things that you take as read, no pun intended, and certain things you thought, well, that's just the way the world is. You know, the sun and papers like it regularly lie, and we just sort of, like, take that as a thing that happens and you show what did you expect. Whereas because in, in Discworld, it's the first... Uh, moments of these industries it gives you this amazing perspective like men at arms is a perfect example of the the invention of the gun 
and what that mm. means and how all weapons previous to the invention of the gun are just the storing up of human energy like a spear is just a person hitting a person except with like an extra step but a gun is point and click a gun um renders the ability to kill into something that anybody can wield and that's what makes it so unbelievably dangerous something that like i mean maybe not in ireland but like something that like can so easily go unconsidered in other countries that are more used to having guns um but Discworld sort of like brings you face to face with the central concept behind these things that we take as red yeah no especially because like um i was going to mention um men at arms like to to get into the watch because even then like like you say it's a petri dish where you can um like you can play out well what if there was a police force who policed by consent and actually had like the local community at heart mm. like there's so much that terry pratchett is saying about the nature of authority and the people who wield power in policing and then like presents uh presents like the watch as not um one of the good ones like brooklyn 99 does but like this is a benevolent force that's trying to like with each book they're trying and getting better and better at being police people and also citizens at the same time yeah it also um does something kind of from the outset that is so for anyone who's not familiar the way the disc world is kind of structured is there are it's all set on the in the same world just usually in different parts and there is one city called ankh Pork, which is london um in this sort of 18th century mixed with kind of new york uh, mixed with every sort of uh, trope of a massive sprawling fantasy city and it has a police force and they first show up in the eighth novel I believe Guards Guards um, mm. sorry I'll say properly Guards Guards which is basically guards, dedicated guards. to the um, at the start it says it's dedicated to the guards who run in in the middle of the third act and are immediately slaughtered by the hero and it's it's gorgeous and it, it takes them from being four very decrepit members of the night's watch to being a, a a quite modern and fully functional police force but they don't people are even even the good guys within it aren't saying certainly like they are they are just people like there's a, a great conversation between um fred colon who is like sort of the sergeant sergeant he's a big dude he is he is a pretty uncomplicated thinker um and and um corporal nobby knobs who was disqualified from the human race for shoving um as it says in the book and they talk about um colon talks about his feelings about immigrants and they're not pretty feelings and a lot of novels would be nervous about giving those thoughts to somebody who is supposed to be sympathetic but then they have um you know, it's that typical thing of Colon complains about uh, immigrants coming over here and not doing anything, but also taking our jobs. And very innocently, Nobby is like, so they're coming over and taking your jobs, but they don't do any work. And he's like, oh, you know what I mean? And he's like, I, I don't know what you mean. It's like, no, I don't. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. And like, um, oh, and they're bringing their foreign food over. And it's like, but you love a curry, Fred. Like, what are you talking? Like, are you listening to the words coming out of your mouth? And like vimes who 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 runs the watch is 
an old stick in the mud who is anti-progress in a lot of ways but finds himself unable and eventually unwilling to stem the tide of creating what is essentially a multicultural police force and i think it's a it's a it's a powerful act to have your heroes be wrong and have them be proved to be wrong over and over again um i just yeah i think that's a really nuanced thing he does because basically every single one of the watch books is vimes dealing with both his own and the implicit like racial bias of the police force um where they're like and because ankh-morpork is such a multicultural city both in terms of like um people and also like different races like trolls and vampires and werewolves and they eventually grow to have like gargoyles and and ghouls on the on the watch that he has to like come to terms with the fact that he spent a lot of his life discriminating against them um and the police kind of reflected that um and yeah like you say it's you know it's refreshing to have your heroes be proven wrong um especially because like carrot is a human who was raised in a dwarf mine and, and identifies as a dwarf and he comes in and he's so like his worldview is so simple and uncomplicated um but not but not in a bad way he's he's uh simple in the same way that a sword is simple i think they describe it as um mm. yeah i mean it's 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 a really interesting i think it's hard i'm hard pressed to pick which is my favorite sort of strand of the books but i think the watch series are the ones that show the most interesting character progression from one book to the next as characters face up to uh, uh, an evolving society and learn or get out of the way and also learn to recognize that um, I am becoming obsolete and that's actually okay as long as I maintain the principles that actually worked in the first place. Like there's an amazing bit where Vimes um, is referred to as a soldier and he loses his temper and is like, police are not soldiers. That is not what we are for. And that's just, I mean, extremely relevant um, now and it's kind of always been relevant. But this sort of examination of what is a police person? Like, what are they supposed to be? Mm -hmm. What is the job they're supposed to be doing? Um, is a question you can keep asking book after book after book because mm. it's really easily forgotten. It's a, it's, it's a person with a sword and a shield and a, a breastplate and that can very easily become a soldier but that's not what they're supposed to be they're not a method of conquest they're a method of protection yeah um th that was in jingo right um the one where he loses his temper being called uh a soldier it was like lord rust or something um the worst he's just yeah yeah, like that whole book is about like them going to war against like a perceived foreign other, um, which like like in it, and I think it it deals quite well with the subject matter for a book that was written in the eighties by like a British white man. Um, sure. But yeah, no, like the one of the things that's pointed out really early on is like the origin of the word policeman, or at least in the disc world. I I presume it's probably the same. But like from the word polis, which means city, so it's like a man of the city, not any kind of soldier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then like, and, and veterinary is like, where do you think the word politician comes from? And uh, yeah, like, like it's it's interesting to look at Pratchett through a modern 
not through a modern lens that's maybe the wrong way of putting it but like i feel like while there are parts of his books that um are maybe out of date with like um um, um, a more modern type of phrasing i think there's a fundamental decency in how he talks about people and about the 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 base rule that you don't treat people as things and you respect people and you never punch down that i think is kind of evergreen um and certainly his 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 contempt was always reserved for institutions of power that treated people badly um which is i think a a statement that it, or, 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 I think is is a is a is an outlook that I think works still today. Yeah, definitely. And I think like all of the different strands of the Discworld deal with it in like different ways. Um, like the way that um, the Watch books deal with like you know treating people with common decency, like through the lens of like the police force protecting them is different to like how the witches deal with it. Um, and like they're, you know, especially like the headology of witches where they kind of just like get you to use your own common sense to help figure things out. But there's a lot of like that evergreen profound wisdom in those books as well. Not to say that there's not a, a Pratchett book. I don't think I've encountered um, maybe Eric actually. I said I was about to say I don't think I've encountered one without wisdom, but then I was like I really didn't like Eric. Uh, I think I, I read Eric once, and that's like the most damning statement I can make about a Pratchett book. I just didn't kind of get it. I don't know. I was kind of like this. It felt like a reference to something that I hadn't. I know obviously there's a lot of Faust and stuff in there, but I tonally, and it's been years since I read it. Yeah, that one just never. I forget that's a that's a Discworld book, which again mm -hmm. is a, is, a, is a sort of a damning review. It just didn't click for me at all. Hmm. Yeah. I th the the Rincewind books feel the most not. Ca I don't know. I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, like the oh. the the Rincewind books, at least the like initial six books with Rinswin, they feel and especially the the um back three so eric interesting times and the last continent feel really really disconnected with um what the disc world was slowly becoming more and more with each book and i don't know like do you think that's partly because like at the start he was kind of just coming up with it on its own or like like as he went along and that like the first two books being Rincewind books largely became like a symptom of that or what like do you think there was something else I, it's just something that i i got from reading them yeah so so essentially um for anyone new to discworld the strands are there's the witches which are uh roughly you could call them um explorations and retellings of shakespeare in a and and sort of fairy tales and stories in general and occasionally opera in a remote um slightly welsh coded um uh medieval sort of um countryscape and then there's the death books about a, our everyone's favorite anthropomorphic skeleton soul collector um there's the 
Susan books, which are about his granddaughter. There's the watch books, which are sort of crime books. There are a bunch of standalones. Um, and then there's the Rincewind books, which are about a feckless, Egypt coward, wizard running from adventure and ending up in them a lot. And they're sort of travelogues, I guess, um, where the first two, you like travel to different parts of Discworld. Um, and I think the first two suffer from, at that stage, Discworld, he didn't have a map. He didn't have, it was just bits of fantasy landscape that he wanted to explore that very swiftly became kind of non-canon as the book sort of solidified into a a, a world you could look at as, as a coherent thing. Mm. And then they became sort of, yeah, like each book was sort of set in a different, do you know, they're the most overt sort of, like I don't think Pratchett is a is a parody writer, but they're the ones that are closest to parody because there's one that is very much, um, it's just he goes to fantasy Australia. That's what he does. It's fantasy <laughs> Australia. Um, there's one where mm. he goes to what I don't think a, it, it, the the majority of the influence I got out of it was Japan. I don't know if it's solely Japan. I'm not sort of like um qualified to that make that statement but um it's it's broadly like, asia <laughs> yeah that's yeah and and so like there's a lot of what i recognized from it there was a lot of japan in there um for mm. the language and there was like um samurai and there was uh sumo wrestlers um but there was also um temple um statues um like terracotta statues and it just I think my problem with Rincewind is that, like, he's not supposed to be, I guess, very likable. Like, he's uh, a doofus who wants to be left alone. And um, fine. I'm happy. I, I kind of wish that he would. No, I don't wish they would have been. Like, they're, all Pratchett books are a certain level of good. All Pratchett books are at least, to me, at least a 7.5 to 8 out of mm. 10. Um because you just don't find writing like that in, in many other places. Uh, but Rincewind, he was never my favourite because when characters, for me, when a character, I like reluctant heroes, but at some point they stop running and they turn around. And Rincewind never really did that as a character. It started to become maybe a little bit samey um, after maybe the fourth or fifth time he ended up in a dodgy situation and needed to um to escape from it and sort of provide mm. yet of these different cultures along the way i think moving pictures which is it's moving pic no moving pictures isn't a rincewind book Never no mind. it's um i take that all back uh there. color of magic light fantastic sorcery eric interesting times and the last continent or the like the like main rincewind ones yeah i like I have to say, I like uh, the side characters in interesting times. I like the the silver horde, the barbarian, the septuagenarian mm. barbarians he ends up hanging out with. Um, I like the villain in that book. I like the, there's that's probably my favorite. I didn't sort of get the when was the last continent written? It was like it was one of the ones in the nineties, if I remember correctly. It was like one of like like early nineties. Do you remember when everybody really liked Australia um, in movies? <laughs> Just in general, like 
I like the implication to that, that people don't like Australia now. It's like, Australia don't really care for it. They're not as fond of it anymore. <laughs> no, but there was, Take there was, it or leave it. The Crocodile Dundee phase, where, like, we got... Yeah. I mean, they, they, they make fun of that in The Simpsons, where, like, there was a while where everyone really wanted Australian... And like home and away and things like that. Am I just very much aging myself here? But um, was it written to like tie in with that? Was it like a cro- did he watch Crocodile Dundee and decide to do it? I don't know. Um, um so the last continent was not early nineties. Was nineteen ninety eight. Um, okay. Crocodile Dundee was a nineteen eighty six film. So like, like the window of because like they do reference it in that they have like a, a scene where it's like that's not a knife. Yeah, but it's weird that it's coming like twelve years later. Um, I want to apologize to any Australian listeners. I did not mean to say that people don't like Australia now. Uh, Crikey! Oh no! <laughs> I... why, why don't we just why don't we just double down on the Australia hate? <laughs> we'll lose we'll lose a key demographic of our listenership <laughs> in the process. I do plan never to go there because I hate spiders. So I guess it's yeah, like a revival. I like spiders, but I wouldn't like the spiders in Australia because some of them. Do be a bit deadly. There's an amazing, yeah. um, there's an amazing scene in the Last Continent where Death is planning to move or to go to Australia or the version of Australia there, and uh, he goes into his library, which contains every book ever written, and asks for a list of all the dangerous animals, and is immediately buried by hundreds and hundreds of books, and then he climbs out and says, "Okay, that was a mistake. Let me ask for a list of the non-dangerous animals." And for a long time, there's silence. And then you hear this like whisper as a single sheet of paper flies up to death, and all that's written on it is some of the sheep. <laughs> some of the sheep. To to your point, Dave, about um reluctant heroes, and eventually there has to be a point where they turn back and they stop running. Like, do you want to know what really, really bothers me about the Rincewood books? Always. They stopped giving him an arc. So, right, you, like you're introduced to him in the color of magic, and you know he, like you say, he's this feckless Egypt who gets caught up in like Lord Veterinary literally tells him to take the world or the discs first tourist around, and they get into hijinks and whatever. And then at the end of that book, spoilers for the first book of the disc world, he falls off at the edge of the world. It's the only time where there's been a direct cliffhanger between books in the disc world literal cliffhanger um and so then you have the dealing with that uh but then there's like this threat from the dungeon dimension so when rincewind goes back uh goes back to it and they're confronted with um the the head of the university has been taken over by these eldritch beings from the dungeon dimensions look they're really important in the first couple books of the disc world and then they kind of forget about them for the most part so like mm, don't worry about them that's why mm. I picked up moving pictures because they're the things with capital yeah. are in uh, are in that. Yeah, and so like, Rinsman wants to run away from that, and then Two Flower, who's the tourist, like goes towards, and then he decides, like, oh, I suppose I better go after him. And so you start to like get this arc, and you're like, okay, cool, this is the point. And then he spends a lot of um, sorcery running away from. Um, the wizards unlock the power of sorcery, which is distinctly different from magic. Mm. Um, and there's this like power, there's this child who is a sorcerer. Um, like, like he's seven years old or whatever. And his father has cheated death by like, um, 
possessing the boy's staff and so he's using it to control the child to like wreak his revenge on the wizards or whatever um and so like they become mad with power and they start like killing people and so you get this moment where kanina who is the daughter of one of the um septuagenarian uh war warmongering people um she's like well what type of wizard are you and rinswin makes the distinction i'm not the killing kind and so then when he goes back he's the only person like when he goes to confront this child, um, he's the only person who recognizes that this is like an abused child who's suffering and doesn't like is not in control of his actions, but like, you know, he, this is a child who's about to be killed for something that his father is doing, and so he makes the sacrifice of like you know like saving the child, and then he goes into the dungeon dimensions, and we don't see anything for Rincewind for, uh, like five books i want to say something like that and then he comes back in eric but then they just kind of repeat the same thing of him running away and there's bits in it that hint towards that he's traumatized and has ptsd but it never like i think it's in the last continent they say that like sometimes he like screams in his sleep mm. you know like there's, there's hints of it but they never like they they never double down on it so you just kind of get back into this holding pattern of Rinswin is running away. I realize I've talked an awful lot. I apologize, but it really bugs me about it. Like you start getting this, and then when he comes back, you have three books of the same stuff you had already gotten through. Yeah. The setting changes and the side characters change, but Rinswin doesn't. I think because I forgot sorcery is one of my favorites of the early books. And I think the the team up of um Coin, this incredibly, I think his name is Coin, this incredibly powerful child. Um mm. And Rincewin, who is is categorically the worst wizard, because he 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 snuck into um, the 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 library and he read a spell that he shouldn't, and it forced all other spells out of his head. That would have been a really interesting arc for Rincewin, like training or helping this boy as the boy grew up. But I wonder, was that too close to? the 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 general arc of sort of mentorship that that Esmeralda Weatherwax has, where she is usually there is, excuse me, a younger witch she is paired with that she is kind of mentoring and also learning from, and where they didn't want to give that to, to Rincewind. It's hard. It's hard to know, and I think with the thing about like I don't know what the release schedule of Discworld is like because I read I found them when there was already like you know, 10 or 15 of them. So I sort of kept going. I think it wasn't until the 25th book came out, The Truth, that I was like actively waiting for each new book. I had so many to read. Um, so it feels weird to sort of like, not criticize them, but to ask for more, ask for different things. Um, like I could always just mm. like, Rincewind wasn't doing it for me. I could always just switch to the Death books, which I think are universally brilliant, or the Watch books, which are all which are mostly all pretty good, at least to me. Um, so I never, res there is, I think sometimes, not, not saying that you're resenting um, the Rincewind thing, but like in other series, certainly you're like, oh, I can't believe I'm reading a chapter from this character again. Whereas with Discord, you're like, oh, this book was, was a bit of a miss for me. Thank mm. God there's 35 others. <laughs> you're not like lost. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And you're you're right in you're right in that I think I think I, I definitely agree with you that the um the death books are 
probably the most beloved of the series. Like, like especially just the character of Death is kind of um, synonymous with Pratchett. Like, out of all of the things he did, both Discworld and, you know, stuff for children, um, like Dodger, and, you know, like the Long Earth series and uh, Trucks and Strata and stuff. Death is the the character that's pretty much universally like like that's the first thing I think people think of if they know Pratchett. Um, yeah, there there's so much humanity to them. I think there ha- well, I mean, there has to be because it's like the embodiment of the concept of death. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a line where Death talks about how for a while he changed his shape to be whatever the person dying expected. So he was, you know, the great scarab beetle pushing um, something across the sky, or he was this, and then it was just a lot of work. So eventually he was like, people understand a good farming metaphor, so I'll I'll be a skeleton and I'll carry a side. And there's something sort of just like very sweet about death. Not in the, like the first three books are very much prototypes and death in those books is a lot crueler and weirder and sort of darker. Um, oh yeah, and, Color of Magic Death is like nearly unrecognizable. Yeah, I mean most of the characters in Color of Magic are kind of unrecognizable from what they yeah. from. But like in 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 Mort, which is sort of I think the universally accepted book to start with, um, it is about Death taking on this gangly youth as an apprentice, and he takes him for a curry, and he. Uh, scares the life out of the people in the in the in the takeaway and then he goes over to a a a well reaches in pulls out a little sack and pulls out the ghosts of three kittens and says i just don't understand people and blows on them very gently and sends them on their way and you can't help loving a character like that Mm. and i think we all want you know the idea like religion and, and death the, 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 there's 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 sort of a cultural connection between religion and death, but actually death by itself is a large enough concept that it can occupy an awful lot of your brain. And the idea that death has a concierge, the, the physical process of dying has a concierge that meets you and is usually, at least in the Discworld books, is pretty kind to you on this difficult transitory phase, I think is a really, it's a very enduring concept. Yeah. And it's something he's willing to stake his own existence for. Um, Because, like, in in Reaper Man, the, like, like the arbiters of the universe, the auditors, um, want to get rid of death because death is too human and they want everything to be completely, like, rational and logical and death doesn't want to... Or death doesn't, like, conform with that. So they want to get death fired and institute their own death. and at the end of the book, like death kind of, well, like in between death takes up a job on a farm using his scythe to like cut corn and stuff. And it gets cut, he gets put into an awful lot of like philosophical quandaries about like saving lives. And he has to like come to like terms with the fact that he does want to like help humanity out. And so he goes and like pleads before Azrael, death of universes. And I think I think I may have it highlighted because um, I have a digital copy of it. Um, it. It really sticks with me. I'm going to quote from the book. Uh, Reaper Man. Uh, oh, I don't have. 
hold on a second. Yeah, uh, where he he pleads that um, there is no hope but us. There is no mercy but us. There is no justice. There is just us. All things that are are ours, but we must care. For if we do not care, we do not exist. If we do not exist, there there is nothing but blind oblivion. And even oblivion must end someday. Lord, will you grant me just a little time for the proper balance of things to return what was given for the sake of prisoners and the flight of birds? Lord, what can the harvest hope for if not for the care of the reaper man? Oh, jingles. Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, this a central concept, I think, across all of Pratchett's work was that anything that exists becomes a person eventually you cannot exist without developing some sort of feelings and some sort of heart and 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 it is a it is impossible to escape these these the the auditors these um cold embodiments of the laws of physics they can't escape it either these these, you know they're these gray robe specters and they try and um refer to themselves as sort of the um the unpersoned we and but they keep forgetting and they say i and because that's against who they're supposed to be they self they spontaneously combust um and they go like oh like you know we should do this and this is the way the universe should work and one says well i've always thought oh shit and explodes and (laughs) one of the ways you can defeat them is by throwing chocolate at them because chocolate's delicious and it makes them think about things for a second and then they explode and it's just like and one of the one of the heroes of one of the books is one of these things who just decided no i'm a person and i get i want to have opinions that aren't groupthink and i want to have opinions that that are mine and i want to be and um i think that's i think that's really lovely i think that's like um like the essential sort of humanist principle of everything cares or everything has the potential and the capacity to care and we should mm. allow for that is just it's cool <laughs> that's all i have to say i think it's neat yeah there's a great moment in uh thief of time where the auditors like more and more of them are gradually becoming humanized because of this character and they go insane they like can't deal with the fact that there's so much like stimulus from such a like wide wild incredibly like varied world and so they're like try there's this moment where they're like characters are really terrified they're like what are they doing and it's like i think they're trying to appreciate art and they've gone into an art gallery and they've broken apart these paintings to their like composite atoms to try and understand them yeah um yeah it's, it's just a really um it's kind of a call to arms almost that like um the worst thing you can do is treat people like they're things and it's 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 a protection almost to like uh like these these auditors are quite literally protected from annihilation by viewing themselves and the rest of the universe as uh not individual and deaths life and and job would be a lot easier if he didn't think about the individual and if he had no compassion uh granny weatherwax's life would be a lot easier if she could let herself be the bad witch um but there's a line in 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 witches abroad where it's like once you know the difference between right and wrong you can't choose wrong and 
the so many characters in in his work try and wall themselves off from compassion, but it gets you. It gets you in the end. And I think the only time Pratchett writes about people with contempt is when he writes about people who are able to look around and not care about the people. Like Lord Rust is a perfect example of somebody who, even as a young man, is just a prick and just has no (laughs) empathy and is given many opportunities to have empathy and doesn't take any of them. And I think Pratchett always allows for redemption, but not if you don't take it. Yeah. Or like, like dragging King of Arms in. I'm pretty sure it's also in Jingo. Like, like this dude who's just, um, yeah, he, he's a vampire who's like really, really obsessed with genetics and like basically eugenics. Um, and he has like when Vimes deals with him, like that's what makes Vimes be like, I need to reassess how I like view vampires as a race because like. Like he's just fucking evil, you know. Yeah, like uh, yeah, it's feet of clay, um, uh, where he's like literally look like assesses everybody by their, by their heraldic, um, sigils and is on a a, a crusade of sort of um putting the right people by blood, uh, fittingly for a vampire in the which just doesn't allow for, again. Oh right, yes, yes, that's the one where where Nobby is, yeah. Where he's the the earl or whatever, yeah. Because like there's again, there's yeah. This thing of like, um, which I think is really interesting when you think about like so much of Pratchett stuff starts starts with the fantasy archetype. You know, there's the golem, there's the dragon, there's the 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 witch, the wizard, and then it's like, how can I twist this and subvert it? But that's not ever where it stops. Like it's not a case of like, I think the the phrase um, subvert expectations has become slightly like. A, a, a shunned word post um post mm. thrones but like mm. uh, slightly meaningless yeah because yeah, like, it's not about just like twisting it for the sake of it it's about what opportunities as a storyteller does this allow us now that we've like unhooked ourselves from cliche like karish is an amazing character not just because he is the long lost king of this city who chooses to be a a, a simple policeman but because you then get to see him organize a five-a-side with two youth gangs where they use piled-up knives as their goalposts. And you get to see these, you know, he's a guy who literally does know everybody in the city's name and just charity work uh, and is super sweet and is also not to be crossed because he's a good person and good people don't... Like, an e- what's, what's the line? An evil man will talk... Um, and a good man will kill you without a word. And so it would be very easy just to go, oh, isn't it funny that the king doesn't want to be a king? Isn't it funny that the witch actually practices psychology instead of magic? And it's like, yeah, that's good for a laugh, but it's the equivalent of a jump scare in a horror film. It's it's a momentary thrill, whereas Mm. the thing is, okay, what do we do now with this character? Yeah, definitely, because, like, there's certain moments where you'll have a character um and you think you you've come to terms with like like who they are and exactly what they're even by discworld standards and then you get something that like completely changes them like in um in oh what's it called carpe jugulum where uh granny weatherwax becomes afraid 
um when like when the the vampire's mind control powers reach her in her home where like that's the place where she's most safe or supposed to be and that terrifies her and so like that that's something you've never seen yeah um or even one of uh, is it I th- it might be men at arms where they're like looking in um Vimes's room after they talk about after they have Vimes um it's one of the early watch books because it's like Angua has just been introduced pretty much um but they talk they just said about how people in the watch who are like watch captains live lonely lives and the rooms are all empty uh and then they eventually die and no one goes to their funeral except maybe a couple old colleagues and then you go up to Vimes's room and it's completely bare as well um and then you have they find this book with stubs with people's names in it uh, and like amounts of money and Angua makes a joke about um Vimes uh visiting prostitutes and that's like he's kept a record and you know like oh this person mustn't be that good because you only gave them this amount of money and they go really really quiet uh and they're like that's that's vimes gives most of his paycheck to widows of people who've died on the force and like their children and that's what it's a record of and there's such a clear moment of she's fucked up by underestimating who vimes is and we don't know Mm. this yeah yeah it's a really powerful um because that never enters into uh vimes's mind it would be very that, that's the thing it'd be very easy to give a main character and make them super likable uh or 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 make them admirable uh and instead it's a it's it's almost a dirty little secret that they come across um or vimes is a character who you often see through other people's eyes and people think of him as this like roshy little terrier of a man um and as someone who is quite cruel and not cruel but someone who is a little blunt and a little cold and then you find out one detail and you're like oh that's why he is the way he is and he's also a person who cares extremely fiercely um but you almost wouldn't know he cares extremely fiercely from the inside of his head like it's just it's so nuanced and it's so clever i've just remembered that scene in jingo where um the 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 personal organizer like goes down the wrong timeline and it has like starts listing off that all of his coworkers are are dying all the people on the watch and it's oh my god it's so harrowing have him like listen to that yeah we could just we're we're essentially just like listing all the scenes that are good which is really (laughs) all of them yes uh second yeah two um we'll just read yeah We'll start with the first book. We'll start at Morsh. We'll read the first 35, and we'll see how we get on. Yeah, this podcast is actually going to be 112 hours long. It's going to be an audiobook. Yes. Um, no, so to switch tracks a little on... Uh, hold on now. I just do... on. So on Saturday, the, the 5th of, of November, you are hosting an event in DCU, His Name is Spoken. Uh, is a Terry Pratchett event, correct? Yes, it is indeed. Uh, so okay, yeah. so the day after this podcast goes out, if you're listening to it on the day that it's gone out, if you're listening to this after the fact, no good. Um, unless you unless you figured out time travel, uh, unless you're one of the history books. <laughs> yeah. And if you do, let us let us know. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, don't keep that to yourself, listeners. Um, <laughs> no, but um, 
so what was the like genesis of doing this event? Because it's it's a day of of different panels on the life and works of Terry Pratchett, right? Yeah. So so essentially, uh, I'm the writer in residence in DCU this year, and I was speaking to uh, Keith O'Sullivan, who's the head of the English department, and it was the first time we'd met. And within five minutes, we were immediately talking about Pratchett and about how, as well known as he is, he's still underrated and uh how hmm. he is not often discussed at third level um despite hmm. having um like i don't like when people say that he transcends fantasy because he has all this philosophy because i think that the point of fantasy is to play out philosophies in other worlds but he he is just worth looking at from from every angle and we started talking about how we would do this and i'm very much a wild ideas person like uh i have i should probably be <laughs> stopped i have just like i have like 25 ideas per second mm. and within mm. the next five minutes we had eventually ended up pitching each other this a, a day of panels it wouldn't necessarily be an academic conference it would be less formal than that but it wouldn't necessarily be a convention it would be a day of panels, uh, discussions of Pratchett, um, nerds, getting to nerd out. And then uh, I realized that through small connections on the, on the film side of things in, in my work, I might be able to invite a special guest. And so I reached out to Douglas McKinnon, who is the co-showrunner of Good Omens and has directed lots of Doctor Who and Jekyll and and various other bits and um, is is really, really great. And uh, he was free and willing to come over. And so um, the day, it's it's the 5th of November, it is um, starting at 10 a.m. It's in... um, Saint, uh, it's in, in St. Patrick's College in Drumcondra. It's in um, the Seamus Heaney Theatre, which is part of Cregan Library. It's 20 year for the day. It's two panels, a bunch of readings, and Douglas McKinnon being interviewed by Orte's Ricochet. Uh, mm-hmm. I will probably wear a wizard's robe. I'm very excited about that. Um, it's going to be really good. We're hoping that we can make it a yearly thing. That would be really exciting. Um, so I'm glad of that because I I can't I physically cannot make it on Saturday and it's bumming me out. Oh, I'm really sorry. Ah. Yeah. Um do you are you able to reveal ahead of time what the the readings are going to be, which books are you going to be reading from? So it's we're, what we're kind of doing because essentially um it takes such a long time to get permissions on extracts that it won't necessarily be straight readings we're getting three uh authors uh graham tugwell deirdre sullivan and karis d coburn to to write and perform sort of five to seven minute long kind of responses to different books and so i believe deirdre is going to speak about the witches um i uh i know what graham and karis are going to read about but i won't reveal it and so we're going to kind of have these very smart authors delve into their own personal response to a particular character or particular work. Uh, I have not read these pieces beforehand. I'm extremely excited to hear them because they are some of the smartest people I know. And every time I talk to every time I talk to anybody about Terry Pratchett, they I I am introduced to some clever new aspect or some interesting wrinkle that I hadn't thought about. So it's really exciting to have that. And then we've got two panels on on various subjects. 
and then uh, Rick will be interviewing Douglas and will be taking questions from the audience. So if you are hearing this in time and you want to ask some questions about Good Omen season two, this is the place to do it. Mm. Uh, where can people find those tickets, Dave? Uh, if you Google Eventbrite, his name is spoken, it'll be the first thing that comes up. I assume. Perfect. It is what yeah. I do. So, uh, so yeah, it should be, it should be, it should be good. Uh, I am, it's all I've thought about for six months. So I don't know what I'm going to do with myself on the sixth. I'll probably design a new event, but like. <laughs> keep uh, doing events. Just keep doing events forever. Um, I'm essentially Wiley Coyote running across a thing without looking down. And the second I do stop, uh, I will plummet. But until then, more events. I yeah no I could really emphasize with that I keep having so many ideas and then it's like well how the hell am I going to make them so I've just like I've designed an overarching thing that the like all of these ideas can feasibly fit in so I can just keep building out like this invisible bridge underneath me so I don't need to look down <laughs> yeah just don't think about it like momentum but, is everything yeah no I definitely think that that's a really interesting point and it's one that I hadn't considered at all that like it's not it's not something that that it's taught at third level i mean by and large there's not an awful lot of like fantasy taught in in college english courses and stuff no, like you isn't. might get some yeah no i don't know about you ali in in ucc um but like in trinity we did, the closest we did uh, that I did was um the hobbit for a module i know there was like a children's literature one that did um the Amber Spyglass, which is like, you know, like it, it's pretty much fantasy. Um, mm. I, I don't like it's not fantasy in the traditional sense, but like more yeah. modern fantasy. Uh, and there's always this struggle that's like, should we include the contemporary in our English uh, modules? And everyone is kind of like, yeah, please. If, if it means yeah, we don't do have that, to do read, that. if we don't have to read 14th century Middle English. Um, oh, then I'd love to do The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, but yeah. Strange. Like, obviously, um, uh, Terry had that, um, ha did have a connection with, with, with Trinity. Um, I'm not sure how much, how much teaching he did. I know he did some, I know he did some mentoring. It is... There was a panel I think he did once, like, a couple of years before his death in the, the science building. I, I saw, like, a uh, someone had recorded a live stream of it um, where he was just like in hold on now I'll see if I can find the link while you talk and I'll send it to you yeah it was I, was, I believe I was there because I, it's the one time I've ever talked to him um, I asked him who his favourite villain was and he said oh. Carcer from Nightwatch because everybody knows a Carcer and I was like that is really interesting mm. um, uh, and yeah and then there was a table quiz afterwards where he was the um, he was the uh what would you call it the sort of final judge basically and um it was really, <laughs> again it sort of like informed this um i think this was a really nice thing i've noticed about pratchett fans is there's no gatekeeping there's no sort of you're not a real fan if you haven't read all the books because mm -hmm. I, there was a question at that table quiz where it was how many steps has the tower of arsh in the in the city of ankh-morpork and one group said 888 another group said 8,888 and they were like Terry can you settle this and he was like why are you asking me and, <laughs> kind of thing of like... <laughs> and it was like funny and it was touching and I think we could do with taking 
I think all literature probably a little less seriously and all on all stories. Um, I do think, yeah, I do think we're we're missing a trick slightly in like not pushing fantasy. There's some really interesting stuff being done in fantasy, um, and too often uh, we focus on the the classics that are renowned classics as opposed to looking for new classics and modern classics. Yeah, yeah I agree. And a lot of a lot of that like refreshing stuff in fantasy is like own voices being able to tell their own stories. You know, like um RF Kuang with her Poppy War trilogy dealing with like, you know, Asian mythologies or um Evan Winter with the oh, is it called the Burning series? I think so. Um Rage of Dragons, where that's like, you know, African mythologies. And yet Pratchett kind of had a bit of that where he was like delving into other cultures, but it was also like he was a British white man. And for, mm. you know, all the good he did, we do also need to be like, he, you know, he could only do so much uh, himself. Yeah. Yeah. Def- like, I just feel that like too, for, for, for too long, only one variant of person was getting published in fantasy. And there's been immense, obviously there was immense pushback when fantasy, and I think fantasy was maybe one of the first genres that really did start to diversify. And uh, Mm. there's still a huge amount of work left to be done on that. But I think it is when a new author, um, a marginalized voice uh, is published, they they need all of the support we can give them. And so if your show, if, and the thing that like makes books talked about more in the in the public consciousness is them being put on syllabuses and um, syllabi, whatever, and yeah. um, being um, shared in classrooms and having that access. And it's always, and I think there's like I, I was a teacher, so I know that like there is a there's a real temptation to fall back on the thing you taught last year and the year before that because you already have the notes done, and you yeah. already have work done, and it is. A not insignificant amount of work to sit down and learn a book well enough that you can teach it, but we do not want to continue teaching the same thirty books for the rest of civilization. Not yeah. so much exciting stuff coming out of just stuff that we haven't heard of before or read before because it is not British. Like, like just this this thing of like, um, all fantasy is sort of Middle England. You know, like it's just yeah. You get tired yeah. of waistcoats after a while, you know. <laughs> yeah, like when I was in first year, there was like a couple books that I I read multiple times for like different modules. I like the one I I remember the most because I didn't like the book was I had to read The Awakening by Kate Chopin, which I wasn't a fan of, but I had to read it twice for like you know for two separate modules uh in the one term it wasn't even across two terms uh and it was like please just like i understand you have a syllabus and you've this point you're trying to get to but like i don't know make us read a different book we're all taking these modules they're not optional yeah it's like can you like sit down with each other and kind of do different things yeah yeah what um what what specifically did you um used to teach dave if you don't mind me asking. No, not at all. So I taught Leaving Cert English and I taught primary school for a year in Egypt and I taught uh now I 
do a bit of teaching, obviously, as part of my 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 role in DCU. I also teach in uh, a little bit in UCD as well. We actually um, just did a fantasy course last March reading week um, through the Creative Futures Academy in UCD, which is this great initiative that is like really seeking to promote um, different types of literature being taught and sort of taught with an eye for the industry and also taught with an eye for uh pushing the creative side so not only would you study a certain type of literature but you'd also be trying your hand at writing it and so i'll be doing that again Ooh. this march um for ucd students um it's like a free sign up um during reading week there'll be more on that um if you check out my website davewritten.com there'll be more information there's no information there yet but there will be uh coming into the new year and specifically we tried to make sure the reading um the reading list for that was like gonna have some new and fresh and interesting stuff on it yeah not just to be doing the same things over and over again i definitely like to i definitely like to teach a module myself just because like i've read enough fantasy that i think i could possibly do it but also, like, like it's something that I would have wanted to do if I were, like, if I were going into college again and saw that as a module. I definitely would have wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't really anything for it. Um, I remember there's like, like big waves when they introduced like a module that was exclusively about uh, like comic books and graphic novels, and everyone was oh, like, "Oh my bad. god, this, yeah, this is so revolutionary," and I'm like. Well, it's kind of the bare minimum of at least acknowledging that these mediums have merit. Cause I think yeah. it's kind of like, there's this understanding that like, if it's taught at university level, then that's real stuff. And that only helps uh, solidify the canon as this like unshakable, immovable thing. Uh, yeah. And so then if it's not taught in college, then you're just kind of taking away from any merit that it might have. Um, yeah. And I really hate that. So if you each had a week, to teach a contained course in a university, in any university, what would the title, the flashy title of your course be? Oh, fuck. See, think about you that. Said, oh, I'm asking the questions next. <laughs> ah, fuck. Turn the um, tables. I know I said fantasy there, but I had also like planned for doing a different module which is exclusively on um Mark Z Danlevsky's 2000 book um House of Leaves and now that I'm thinking about it I would call it uh this is not for you which is a quote from the very start of the book um and then there'd be some sort of subtitle like examining Mark Z Danlevsky's House of Leaves or whatever but I feel like starting off with this is not for you would be an incredible um marketing <laughs> way of getting people to attend like especially yeah, like especially a new one. If this was like a new module that was happening, telling people don't come to this module, I think yeah. it would work. That it's like um, it's like you know how Yorkie bars used to say like it's not for girls, and then like everyone would want to buy them. Yeah, I was really like, into I'm... that, and I was like, "This is weird." And then I was like, "Oh, I'm trans." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "Ah, yeah, that makes sense." Ah, I never, yes. I never, I never had. I never ate one. Are they nice? They're literally just solid milk chocolate. Like, fair enough. Yeah, but also, it's don't think that gets you out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> I can respect that. Uh, I'm trying to think now. What, like, 
first I need to figure out like what I would teach the course on before I can like you know come up with any kind of flashy title. No, title first, and then desperately try and figure out what your course is going to be about after everyone signs up because the title was so good. That's the marketing way to do things. Yeah, go in with a big promise, and then once you've got people signed on, then you okay. Well, now how do I deliver it to that person? Yeah, like now I actually have to like write. Now I actually have to come up with it. Like, yeah, like ah. Uh... I am fully blanking, like, you know, just like, I, I, like, I feel like this is something I need to, like, sit down, like, a serious project. Yeah, I apologize for just throwing that at your face. <laughs> no, it's a good question. I will, maybe I'll think about it and I can release it with the socials, like, when the episode comes out. Amazing. All right, you've got, you've got, like, two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like, you know, sit down after class tomorrow and just be like, hmm, doing my homework. I feel like that would be a, an interesting thing to do as like like an organizer or something. And I'm not pitching this to you as something you should do. This is just like an abstract thought, Dave. So don't worry. But just like get a bunch of young people and be say to them, come up with a module like like kind of the um the apprentice business model of like you have to start a business and now here's all the challenges you have to do. But put them in the position of like you need to come up with and teach a module and let them teach it to small groups and then like feedback or something. I, I don't know, it'd be nice, like, TA training, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I'm doing an event for Dublin Book Festival called um, Mic Drop, which is a really stupid name now that I think about it, but it's basically an author event event where it's aimed specifically at debut authors on how to put together a school's or library's event, all of the mistakes I've made doing it, how to avoid those mistakes, um, Ooh. How, how much you should charge, how to put together a tech list for the library how to like uh navigate a q a with a bunch of belligerent second years like all these sort of things that like i only know because i've done hundreds upon hundreds of them and like if i can make it like slightly easier for other people um mm. it, it, most it, of them in the last month it seems <laughs> yes there's a mm -hmm. lot of it's a very much concentrated around october but um but yeah like so it's i really like the idea of like giving people the tools to teach their own modules because i think only by teaching something do you really get a a new perspective on it like um if i was going to do it i would do one in elden ring because i've put 160 hours into elden ring there, and i have i know more about I, i've put more effort into that than i have in, in any course that i've taught that's probably a terrible thing to say and uh but but elden ring is so good there's just so much in that game to talk about. Um, I'm watching, um, my wife is playing it at the minute and I'm like watching her play and like, it's really lovely to like see it all again, kind of knowing the new little bits I know now, but like keeping like mm. a lid in it so I don't ruin anything. But um, whereabouts is she? She is, she's just gone into Stormvale Castle. Oh, okay. So a bunch of bird jerks with swords for legs have have shown up. The most, that's the most bullshit enemy design. Forget any of the bosses. They put swords on those birds' feet, and then they put them in the air. What is, what is with that? It's, a, it's, it's animal cruelty. I mean, there's a lot of it's it. It's animal now. cruelty, and then they're also just real pricks to hit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there could have been a boss that was a bird with swords for And then when you meet the flamethrower birds with swords for legs, it's just a... Oh, yeah. It's a tough working environment. 
I also just love that, like, they probably do have an, a name, like, like when they were being developed, but literally everyone I've seen has just referred to them as birds with swords on their legs. <laughs> yeah, Clue is, I'm, I'm, I think it's like Stormhawk or something, but like, that doesn't mention the bird part, or the, the, it doesn't mention the bird part, it doesn't mention the, uh, the sword part, which is very important. Hmm. Now, yeah, I, now, now I want someone to come on and talk about Elden Ring. Now I wanted to spend an hour talking to someone about Elden Ring. Dave's like, you know, like second episode. Dave is a return guest. Oh my god. I'm I'm down for it. I want to talk about Bloodborne. Yeah. I want to talk about um that's one thing I never get to talk about that I would really like to. Uh because people keep asking me about my books. And I'm like, no, I want to talk about Bloodborne and Elden Ring. Is that okay? <laughs> and they're like, no. We hired you to talk about your books. It's like, okay, fine. It's like yeah, whatever. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, brilliant. Uh, I've never played I... the Terry Project games, like the Discord mm. games. I know they were quite big and like had a lot of the wit that 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 Project is known for. But that's a a gap in my a gap mm. in my knowledge. Neither have I actually. Was it Terry Pratchett, like, was it his story that inspired that, like, movie, I think it was on Channel 4, like, I think last Christmas, The Abominable Snow Baby? Yes. I watched that. Was it good? I was, like, my, hmm? Was it good? Yeah, it was very cute. Like, it was my, that's my main, like, thing into Terry Pratchett, like, I haven't really, I haven't read any of his books, like, but, I was, like, seems good. Also, our Discworld episode was the 4th of June, 2021. Hmm. Going back a bit. Yeah, that's a ways back. Yeah. All right. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up, unless you have anything else, Dave? No, that's great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Um, Dave, where can we find you? Is there anything you want to plug? Like any social media or like obviously the event? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, uh, again, his name is spoken. Um, you get the tickets on Eventbrite. It's on November the 5th. Uh, if you are a debut author and you want to level up your author events, um, you can search for me at uh, on the Dublin Book Festival uh, website. Um, Aside from that, you can follow me on Twitter at D underscore Rudden Writes um, and uh, on Instagram at The Rudd Less Travelled because I like terrible puns. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, You're also work. an author of books. Um, oh, God, yes, and now, now is the now is the actual point. I can work this into the conversation. For ages, I really, really disliked you when I read your Knights of the Bro. Not, not, not actually disliked you, but I read Knights of the Borrowed Dark, and I was like, "Fucking hell, the writing in this! I'm never going to be able to write like this." And I really hated that. I was like, <laughs> "This writing is so good. The way you write about light, I hate you." <laughs> I did not I know that. where that sentence was going before you. Um... I'm so sorry. I was like, this is a level of craft I am not used to. It is incredible, and I hate it. <laughs> well, you're extremely kind. Um, yes, I am the author of a uh, YA trilogy called Knights of the Borrowed Dark. Uh, I also write Doctor Who books. 
uh, for the BBC. I have one called Twelve Angels Weeping, another called The Wintertime Paradox. And uh, I might be doing another one next year that I certainly am not allowed to talk about now, but it's a good year to be doing it, is all I will say for the topic mm. of the book. Mysterious, mysterious. Very mysterious. Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, Nigel, where can we find you? Uh, you can mainly find me on Twitter at SpicyNigel. That's my main port of call. Um, or I'm continuing my ongoing countdown until Avatar 2 comes out. Uh, it's currently 44 days until Avatar 2 comes out. Um, I haven't really been tweeting or anything much since uh, I, I tweeted out a new code for the, the fiction podcast show I'm working on. I've set up a series of codes because I like to be mysterious. And the uh, I've been tweeting my NaNoWriMo progress because I started it yesterday. Um, oh, brilliant. Nice. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I, I'm not writing a novel. I'm, I decided I was going to try and write 50,000 words of this um, fiction podcast because, like, it turns out oh. I actually need to write... I need to write scripts for it, funnily enough. Um, oh. Like, it exists in my head, but I can't just be like, the actors act that out. Like, I need to write what down what they need to say. You can't just extend <laughs> it to and be like, yeah... Go ahead. Telepathically beaming it to you. Um, yeah. No, that's it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AliCat underscore Ali spelled like alleyway, cat spelled with a K. And you can find me on Instagram at Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore K underscore Keegan. You can find the podcast at HyperFixationsP on Twitter. Or at Hyperfixations Pod on Instagram, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or dig through the ditches and burn through those witches and slam in the back of my Dragula, wherever. If you like the show and would like to come on to talk about one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. If you like the show, tell a friend. If you didn't, nobody likes a fucking narc. And that is all. That is all for this week. Um, Dave, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. Oh my god, that sign off, all of that sign off was amazing. It's so, <laughs> so belligerent. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel is just brilliant. Thank you so I... much for having me on, folks. This was really great. Thank you for being for on. nothing at all. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Signing off. <laughs>